What is Christian nationalism? Is it a dirty word or something more? Coming up next right here on The Parker J. Cole Show. Hi, and welcome to The Parker J. Cole Show. I am your host, the queen, Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor today, Cody Leibold. You may remember him from several years ago, and I'm just happy to have him back again. I enjoy what Cody is doing with his various ministries and platforms. He's a logical man, very reasonable, but he's also a man with a lot of fire to him. And I can't wait for you to experience that in just a few moments. As always, I want to thank our Patreon team for their support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years. And as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash right stop and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net, click on that pink follow button, and you'll never, ever have to miss a show. Subscribe to our new YouTube channel at PJC Media for exclusive content, episodes, and more. Go ahead subscribe today, and click that notification bell so you'll never, ever miss an upload. And so, without further ado, I'm going to bring Cody on board today. Cody, how you doing? Hey, Parker, doing just great. Thanks for having me. I am so glad that you took time out of your schedule to be here with me today. It's been a couple of years since we had you, so I have to have you back. But I wanted to have you back because I want to talk about this thing called Christian nationalism. And you are one to delve into these really naughty issues that a lot of people may actually avoid because it's too difficult. But you're actually invigorated by the difficulties of certain topics, aren't you? Yes, and this is a topic that has been coming into discussion in, say, news media, professors and academics within the Christian institutions like the seminaries. But also it's been discussed in the New York Times and Washington Post. There's this huge concern that a lot of people have. What is Christian nationalism? I'll tell you just right up front, it's something that I disagree with. I would not ascribe to the term. And so my place in the discussion so far has been to say, hey, a lot of you guys that I know that I'm friends with or have been in the past are going this direction, and this is my concern about it. But that doesn't mean that I would necessarily disagree with everybody who ascribes to the term, because that's part of the issue is that it's a really broad term. You know, because we could speak about Christian nationalism, we could speak about Christian, uh, like, faithfulness, politically. You want to be a good citizen, so we could just speak of Christian citizenship. Like, what does that mean? What do we believe as Christians we should be doing as far as how we vote or what we think is a good vision for our country? Should our vision for our country be informed by Scripture? Of course it should if you're a Christian. So the debate is not about that. It's, you know, is it, are we supposed to be patriotic? Yes. But what is nationalism and what is Christian nationalism? That's the actual debate. So I'd be happy to answer questions about that or to lay out sort of what are the different views on that topic, give you some historical context, and then as is necessary, I can share my evaluation. I'd be so glad for you to do that because I have a vague notion of what it is, and I want to make sure that I am properly informed. And I know for our listeners out there, they're going to want to make sure they're properly informed as well. Because a lot of people make opinions today off of things they hear from someone else. 
And so it sounds good. They fall for it. But then when it's time to actually defend it, they can't. And we want to at least have an informed decision of what Christian nationalism is. Now, you said something interesting as you were giving us a preface to this, to this discussion. You said that, hey, I don't necessarily disagree with people who ascribe to that. But then you made the caveat because it is a broad term. Let's kind of get some definitions going here. What do we mean by nationalism in its broadest sense? There's a helpful definition in the Encyclopedia Britannica about nationalism. It would mean that you are putting the individual and the individual's interests in a way that it's being subverted, if necessary, for the sake of the well-being of the collective, uh, of, in this case, the nation. So that's where my main concern is about Christian nationalism is that it is nationalism. I don't have any concern about the Christian part of it. So the, the idea of, for instance, the nation having the ability to control what people are allowed to say, hey, we're only going to be one religion in this country, that's a major concern that has been coming up in the discussions. There are some people that would advocate that the national government or the state governments in our country ought to be telling preachers, you can and cannot say these things. So for instance, I'm a Protestant, Orthodox by the conventional definitions, I'm a Baptist. And suppose there was a church down the street that started preaching that there's no such thing as the Trinity. Well, that's a rejection of Christian doctrine, very basic Christian doctrine, all the way back to the Nicene Creed. So many in this Christian nationalism camp would say, it's the role of the Christian political leaders to say, that can't happen. If you do that, we're going to give you a fine. And if you keep doing it, we're going to arrest you. So one of the most well-known advocates of this view is named Stephen Wolf, And he wrote a book, The Case for Christian Nationalism, published last October, or maybe early November. And he explicitly says this. He says that we should have a Christian prince or president or whatever who is going to arrest people if they preach heretical views or if they blaspheme or if they, uh, you know, so there's, there's heresy, there's blasphemy. Also, if they violate the Sabbath. So he wants to have a law that says nobody can work on the Sabbath and these kinds of things. It looks to me like a desire to return to the way that Christians understood the relationship between church and the state before the time of the American Revolution. It looks like a Puritan or like maybe John Calvin type conception of the relationship between those things. And, you know, if you're familiar with your history, when people had that perspective, they were willing to take a heretic and kill them. Now, someone like Stephen Wolf would not say that's appropriate for a country like the United States. He would say, no, I don't want to kill them. I just want to put them in jail for a very long time. And when I hear that kind of thing, I think, okay, so if that's the Christian nationalism that you're talking about, that's a theocracy. That's, you think that God has delegated to you, given you the jurisdiction over what people are willing to teach, what they're able to teach in public. You're giving them, you're, it would mean that God has given man jurisdiction over who can associate together and what they can believe. And, you know, Stephen Wolf, he would say something like, oh, well, they're allowed to believe what they want. They're just not allowed to say it. And that's, that goes against the conventional understanding of the First Amendment and religious liberty. It goes against the Baptist faith and message, and it even goes against uh, the mainstream of Protestant thought, Baptist thought about these topics. And so 
that's there's this division that is coming. And that's a major concern because if somebody says, this is Christian faithfulness, you have to be a Christian nationalist and it means we have heresy laws. Well, then somebody is telling their brothers in the church that they're not faithful. And then that becomes a real point of contention. It's fascinating that you bring that up because the first thing I thought about is the Salem witch trials. I thought about the Spanish Inquisition. And there are numerous other examples in history where Christendom, which is the idea of bringing a Christian form government to the rest of the world. And I may have that wrong, but something along those lines and how that could be detrimental to actually advancing the kingdom. And we could look through history where, in the name of God, millions have been killed because of heretical thoughts. You can look no further than the 30 years war. You can look no further than 100 years war. <laughs> All these wars of religion, particularly in the West, in Europe and places like that, you can see how that can be a problem if we were to take some of those ideas from back then and put them in today's context that wouldn't make any sense and so when you put it in that light i can understand where you're taught where you're coming from but let me go ahead and flip the script on this real quickly now there are people who are being absolutely heretical in today's world to the point that it's highly offensive right and it's so offensive that you're sitting there going why is he or she allowed to say this about my God, but if I said something about whatever, I will be the one that's stunned and canceled and deplatformed? What will be your response to that? Well, I would appeal to the general Americanism idea, the idea that American patriots have had for very, very far back. Like, for example, if you talk to a World War II veteran, they might say, I do not believe in you know, this or that idea, but I will fight to preserve your freedom and including your freedom to have that idea and, and to write a book about it if you want, because we are not fascists. In the, in the United States, the value here is on free thought because we believe that people have to live by using their mind. And if you, you know, clamp down on the mind, ultimately that's going to harm human life. It's going to put way too much power in the hands of just a few who are going to choose you know, what the heresy is and what it isn't. And that's really what we're concerned about. You can look at historical examples and you can see like, for example, in Western Europe, there were cases where the power was out of hand. And we would say that when people were executed for heresy, that that was wrong. That is not an argument sufficient to prove that we should never have heresy laws, but it is at least an argument that we need to pay attention and ask, how did things go wrong and why? What were the principles that led to that bad consequence? And, you know, the people at that time, they thought that they were following the Bible. And so were they following the Bible? That's an important question to ask. Like, if you look back in the time of Moses, in the time of ancient Israel, if somebody were to entice their family member or their friend to follow a false god, that was considered to be an act of treason against the king of Israel. The king of Israel was God at that time. So Moses has a law, and this was given by God himself, that you would execute a person who tried to entice you to worship a false god. So that's serious, and that's part of our history as Christians. That's God's sacred scripture. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we also, because we believe in the same God, 
and because now we have this other nation, the United States, do we want to take the law of ancient Israel and import that into the kind of laws that we have today? And so this is the debate, and it's called a debate about theonomy or theocracy. They mean essentially the same thing to me, but they, uh, you know, people use the words in different shades of meaning. There are those that say that we should be theonomists and we should still have free speech, but that we should outlaw other things. And obviously people want to outlaw drag queen story hour. And so then, you know, very often the advocates of either what they would call mere Christendom or Christian nationalism will say to people like myself who believe in Americanism, they will say, on what basis can you ban Drag Queen Story Hour? What's the intellectual foundation for your decision to do that? Like, don't you think that on your intellectual foundations, it's inevitable that we would have a society that is in decline morally? Because if you leave people free, it's like there's no fences, and then eventually people you know, collapse into depravity. And the answer to that is just to say that throughout the history of the United States, we've not had a problem with Drag Queen Story Hour. And you cannot argue just because of the fact that there is a principle and that later on down the line, some people start doing some wicked thing, that it's the principle's fault. Like, that's a big logical leap there. Why is it that principle's fault? Why couldn't we equally argue that the reason why we have Drag Queen Story Hour today is because of public schools? Because public schools, by their nature, tend to corrupt. That would be my position. I think public schools should be abolished. I think they should be sold to private businesses and reorganized. I think that they should all be private schools. You know, people could raise a lot of concerns about that, but the reason I even bring up the issue is to say there's more than one kind of cause for the things that we see in society today. And when you start posing a solution, like, for example, let's just get a whole bunch of Christians in power and the Christians will outlaw everything that we think is immoral. You have to ask yourself, is there a limit to that? Now, it's partly a silly discussion to be having about what would happen if suddenly Christians were to rise to power, because it's not going to happen anytime soon, as far as we know. We have no indication that Christian perspectives and Christian influence is on the rise in our society today. So you have to ask yourself, what's the purpose of having this discussion? It's not so much a discussion about, like, how are we going to improve society immediately? It's more a discussion of what is our vision? What are our values? And because of that, I think it's also a turf war discussion because there are people that have podcasts and that are writing books that want to gain influence. And one way that uh, that, that plays out is somebody puts out a position and says, this is really the right thing. Follow this plan. Listen to my podcast. Buy my book. Donate to my Patreon. And it's getting a lot of attention because we live in a society that where people are questioning whether or not classical liberalism and the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, whether they've run their course. We're living in a society where we can see that we're on a decline. And so these writers in, in the School of Christian Nationalism are able to come on the scene and say, we have a better idea. Let's go back in time to, say, the time of John Calvin where the state actually had a positive role in a much greater sense than it does today in, um, in promoting Christianity. Now, I'd say, like, sure, I'd, I'd trade what we have today for a state that is pro-Christian and, and even heavy-handedly pro-Christian. If I had to live in, in that versus in a society that is heavy-handedly pro-drag queen story hour, 
Like clearly I would choose the heavy handed Christian one, but I'm challenging the premise that it needs to be heavy handed. And I'm challenging the premise that this heavy handedness is the solution to the problem and that it's the right wise solution. I'm concerned on practical grounds that it actually leads to quite opposite effects. And also it's dividing the church. Like there's people within the church that are saying, oh, I'm not even going to consider you a brother or you're obviously a fool or not someone worth my time because you don't understand that we need to be based. You know, we need to be a Christian nationalist. And it just becomes a whole bunch of sloganeering and, and group think if we're not careful about it. And so the, the solution to this is for people that want to be clear headed to say, please define your position. Do you believe in the First Amendment? I think that's the difficult part there. That's the part right there where you're talking about is define your position. And going back to what I said earlier, people tend to regurgitate what other people are saying, therefore making it that position their position. And one thing you said that I want to just piggyback on is that people are using these miniature platforms to sway opinion about different things. I was listening to something recently where the person said that the new people coming up, like the younger generation, they want to be social media influencers because they can make money on a platform, just regurgitate whatever is the proper group think, as you say, and then they become influencers, okay? And I was thinking about, so basically, instead of being a contributor to the society at large, you want to sway the talk and the thoughts and the actions of people in exchange for maintaining, hopefully, a good lifestyle. So we know some high-yielding and high-earning YouTubers who make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, you know. And it is very much a glittering web, if you will, to get caught up into. So when you made that comment, I just wanted to piggyback on that and get your thoughts on that too. That is definitely a attraction for a lot of people. But I also, I don't doubt the sincerity of someone like Stephen Wolf or say Doug Wilson, who advocates slightly different and less extreme version of this idea. He would call it mere Christendom. It's the version that has free speech, but still punishes people for certain things. So I mean, yes, people are building platforms talking about ideas that don't seem likely to come true. That in itself doesn't necessarily prove it's it's wrong. Uh, but what I am concerned about is the effect that these projects are having on the national discourse for a couple of reasons. So I'm talking in my context, I'm a Calvinistic Baptist. And so I'm interested in what somebody like Doug Wilson would say or Stephen Wolf. They're both Presbyterians. And that's a Calvinistic school of thought. And so I'm, I, it's close to my beliefs. And so it's the kind of thing that I would want to talk about. And But but we have to be aware that there's other people in charismatic churches, which are enormously you know, huge churches across the country that are also discussing this Christian nationalism topic. And General Flynn is going on the media all the time and saying things like, we are a Christian nation, and that means we should only have one religion here. And people are saying that they agree with this. I see. I see. And, and so and there's a, there's the a concern there okay. because you have to ask, what's going to happen to Jewish people, Mormons? What's going to happen to the Muslims in this country? And if if we have a very large group of charismatic churches that are saying that, but then we have Baptist and uh, Presbyterian guys that are saying, yes, we want to be based Christian nationalists, and what that means is no more religious tolerance, 
there is going to be a pushback to that or a blowback to that. And what's going to happen is the uh, we are going to be finding ourselves very quickly in a rhetorical ghetto where none of us is able to get any position of power because the FBI or the CIA consider all of us to be terrorist threats. You can see how – because when when they did their reports on January 6th and the you know people that trespassed into the White House, they tried to blame this on Christian nationalism. It looks like a setup, or at least there's some aspects of it that do. And then it just seems like some of the more radical guys on the Christian nationalism movement, they're willing to play it up almost as if they were plants. I mean, making anti-Semitic comments, making – Comments about black people like that are derogatory. For instance, the co-host of the podcast, along with Stephen Wolf, was named Thomas Acord. And back around Thanksgiving last year, it was exposed, sort of by accident, that he had for about two years been using an anonymous Twitter account to make comments that were derogatory toward black people. And they basically said the problems in America are because of there being too many black people in this country. And I think that Stephen Wolf may have known that this is what his podcast partner was doing. And if you look in Stephen Wolf's book, he has aspects in there that talk about wanting there to be just a unified ethnicity within the borders of this country. And you have to oh, ask that's yourself, scary. yeah, you have to ask yourself, wait, when you say Christian nationalism, do you mean white nationalism? Is that what you're talking about? Um, and there's, there's reason to think that it might be. He opens up his book. The very first quote is, is by, I think, Sam Francis who was thought to be a, like a neo-Nazi thinker. And so, and you can find his quotes where he very explicitly says that the problems in our country are due to immigration and black people and other things. And so uh, this looks like there might be a plant, like a, like actually like there, there might be some kind of scheme going on here where some people are accidentally playing into it, but eventually this is going to marginalize Christians if they buy into it. It's going to make us less capable of being salt and light in this country. And it's interesting because then you start to focus on the political arena, the cultural arena, and not doing what God told us to do, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. You know, that is the commission that God called us to do. And listening to what you're saying, I can see why people are like, whoa, I didn't think about that. Especially as African American, me, I'm like, so what do you mean? I get kicked out of the, <laughs> I get kicked out the club too. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't be a Christian anymore. My skin's too dark. <laughs> you know, but I like that you brought that up so you can let people know what the concerns are when we say Christian nationalism. Now I'm pretty sure some people listening are like, well, I don't ascribe to that at all. Sure. And so what would they, if they don't ascribe to that sort of thinking, because when I came into the show, I think I told you, I said, I don't really know what nationalism is. I gave you an idea, but I guess I was talking about patriotism. <laughs> so sure. Go ahead and tell us then, if that's not the view of Christian nationalism that we ascribe to, then what exactly are we ascribing to then? Well, I would advocate that we would go into our own country and other countries and that we would teach people about Jesus and make disciples and baptize them, as the Great Commission has. And that makes a Christian nation in a different sense because it's a nation full of Christians. And that is naturally going to have an influence on the, the laws and on who's in charge politically. I'm not going to deny that there is a cyclical kind of effect where the overall population has an effect on what the laws become and who the leaders become. But also the leaders and the law have a 
potential catechizing effect on the people. So there's a circular influence there, right? The, uh, if you know, if the nation were to suddenly make some horrible atrocity legal, son, suddenly more people would begin doing it, and then that would affect how they raise their children. And you can see that there is a role for laws to help us understand right from wrong and to make the world a better place. Absolutely. It's a question of which laws. And so that's what I would say as you know, somebody that's a patriot and wants to be a good Christian citizen, you should talk about political issues and don't fall into the trap of thinking, oh, well, church is only about church. Like to be a good Christian, you have to be a good dad. You have to be a good employee probably or, or, or boss. And you also have to be a good voter. And you have to be able to talk about what's just. Like that's part of the life that God has given us. We don't only talk about the gospel, for instance. But the purpose of the gospel is to shape us to be great followers of Jesus and to be able to go to heaven. Uh, and what's a great follower of Jesus? Is somebody who's turned away from wicked ideas and now lives like Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, well, what's the moral component here? What's our vision of justice? Like nobody should be downplaying justice and like, oh, that's going to conflict with our efforts to spread the gospel. We need to care about justice and we need to think carefully about just how much jurisdiction that God has given us over our neighbors who are not Christians and how we are supposed to be salt and light. That's the question. And that's a good question. I'm glad that you brought a lot of this thing, a lot of this to mind that I had not even thought about before, which is why I invited you onto the show anyway. And for those of you listening, I'm talking to Cody Leibold, and he is a commentator. He's a researcher. He's a podcast host. He has a platform. He's all about uh, being reasonable with our faith and being logical with our faith. And so I want people to have an opportunity to find out where they can get more of you from. So go ahead and give us your social media and platform links. And they'll also be in the show description below. Well, thank you. So you can find me on Twitter at Cody Leibolt and ChristianIntellectual.com is my podcast. And I do that podcast with Jacob Brunton. And the two of us have been talking for several years now on the podcast about politics and how Christians need to think about justice more carefully and other issues like epistemology and ethics. And so our goal is to help Christians understand moral reasoning, and we want to fill the world with Christians who are really good at that. We think that would make a big difference. Colby, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. I know we just scratched the surface of this, but I hope that gives our dear listeners an opportunity to follow you online, and I cannot wait to have you back and have you back there soon. Thank you, Parker. And we were talking today to Cody Leibold. He is a podcaster. He's also a commentator. And you want to follow him at the show links below. What I love about Cody is that he gives you reasonable, well-thought-out responses to your questions. And one thing he doesn't do, he doesn't talk first, he listens. Because, dear listener, before this show, I actually sounded like an idiot when I was talking to Cody before. And now I'm more educated because he wants to help you become more educated. And what's the really nice thing about Cody is that if you don't agree with him, he wants to know why. You know, maybe you can jog his foundation of what he thinks. One thing about it, too, is that having open discourse is what helps us hone our own ideas about reality and how we interact with reality. So I'm really glad that Cody was with me today. We'll have him back on the show real soon. And for all you out there, thank you so much for listening to the Parker J. Cole Show. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious blessed day. And God bless.